Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I am the Grumpy Surfer and your host Ads Lyson. This week's guest I have been looking forward to talking to for a very, very long time. I read his book about five years ago and I came across it when I was just looking for books on surfing. My guest today is Dr. Wallace Nichols, the author of The Blue Mind. What this book looks at is the neurological, physiological and mental aspects of how water and by being next to water and in it affects us. And there are a few things in the book that really kind of resonated with me. And one of them was when you think about when you go on holiday, where do most people want to go on holiday? Next to the ocean or a swimming pool? Now you might think, well, you know, that's just kind of standard. But is it? Is there some kind of draw that wants us to go next to the water because deep down on a genetic level we are drawn to the water which ties in really nicely with surfing as surfers we're addicted to the ocean we're addicted to the patterns to the weather to the way that the waves work no weight single wave is the same so I found this conversation absolutely fascinating and Dr Nichols I thank you for writing this book and I hope this conversation resonates with people. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Wallace J. Nichols. Dr. Wallace, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you. Happy to be here. Uh, How come you're in Spain? My daughter goes to school here. She, uh, she'll she be spending two years in Segovia, two years in Madrid, and um, just helping her sort out a few things like student visa and those kinds of things, settling in. Yeah. Awesome. Do you like Europe? I do. I do. I'll be spending a lot more time uh, in this part of the world over the next four years or so, maybe longer. Yeah. You bring a surfboard with you. You're gonna do a bit of surfing down in uh, down on the coast in Spain. Yeah, well, I've got a friend who's got a garage full, so I I'm I'm prepared, and so we're gonna get that arranged. Yeah. So um, the reason why I uh, I kind of got in touch with you is I read I read your book The Blue Mind a few years ago, and um, it, it resonated with me with me quite a lot. I I could imagine it resonates with 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 quite a lot of surfers. That, um, out there and and around the world anyway and um, yeah just to reach out and actually you know talk to you in and for you to jump onto the podcast with me and have, and have a chat is you know is um is amazing I never actually thought that it was going to happen here we are <laughs> I love talking about I love to yeah I love talking about this topic as I know you do and it, it's near and dear to both of our hearts and for a number of reasons that hopefully we'll dive into yeah yeah, cool. So uh, I'd like to kind of get a bit of background on you. If people don't uh, don't know who you are, and if you don't, why? Um, so you know, where did you grow up, and and how did you get to the point where you are right now? Well, I was born in New York City. Uh, probably an important point in the backstory is uh, I was adopted, and so as a kid, um, had big questions, and I was a little. Um, introverted, they say now. I was called shy. Uh, I stuttered. Um, but whenever I was in the water, I felt home. And I didn't have very many questions about things like I had on land. And you can't stutter underwater. 
nobody asks you any questions. So you just have your thoughts and, and you're you in the water. And that feeling is probably why I became a marine biologist, which is why I add that story in. I just wanted my I wanted to align my life with the place that I felt most content uh, or most um, creative even. And so I became a marine biologist, um, got a master's degree and a PhD and went off and studied the ocean and sea turtles and plastic pollution and all the, all the trouble turtles get into out there and started thinking about that origin and that, that feeling that got me started with a, a career connected to, to water. And uh, I wanted to read a book about my, my brain, about the, the human brain interacting with water. And I found some about your brain on music, your brain on stress, your brain on happiness, uh, your brain on creativity, neuroeconomics, neuromarketing, all this whole section of, of the library, but nothing about our brains on water, the single biggest feature of the planet. So I tried to get some people to write the book that I wanted to read, and I failed at that. They thought it was not interesting enough. Um, and then finally, I pitched it to a man named Dr. Oliver Sacks, who's one of my intellectual heroes, a neurologist, brilliant writer, waterman himself, um, just a huge intellect. And I thought, he's the guy. He'll write this book that I can read. And maybe he'll mention me in the acknowledgments if he's kind that I helped in some way. And he said, and this is the point of the whole story, it's a fine idea. You do it. And you could either interpret that as a diss, just like, you know, get out of my way, kid, uh, or an insight. Uh, but I took it as a command, in fact. I did not take it as a suggestion or a nudge. I, uh, inside my head, I said, oh shit. But to him, I said, yes, sir. And then five years later, I brought him first edition hardcover signed copy in New York City. Uh, he lived a little while longer. Um, but I, that's the, the short version of my life. <laughs> I was born, I fell in love with the water. Oliver Sacks told me to write a book. I wrote it. And here we are. <laughs> Uh, the book's called Blue Mind, and it's about the neuropsychological connection we have to water. So. You talk about your your time with the ocean, you know, as a, a as a young man, and you know, growing up in New York City. Um, did you did you spend much time in the water? You know, were you drawn to water sports or swimming or anything like that? Um, you know, is is that kind of like yeah. the purpose of why you were drawn to it? All of it, anything, anywhere, anytime. It could be just a crappy little pool or the Atlantic Ocean or a lake or a river, a pond. Um, no matter the temperature, I just wanted wanted to be in the water. I was the first kid in, the last kid out of the water. Um, kind of all I wanted to do. And any, any activity, if uh, any sort of board or any sort of vessel sailing, paddling, you know, kayaking, canoeing, swimming, uh, surfing, diving, 
um, anything I could do to just stay connected to the water, chasing frogs, catching turtles, um, the whole bit. And uh, yeah, and it's just my happy place, you know? And, and I, like you said at the start, I think a lot of people who love love the water can relate. Uh, it's it's where we go when life in the air uh, gets gets to be too much, right? Um, um, going to the water just cools you down and it restores restores your mind, restores your soul, and you can get back to you know get back to the things you have to do on land. <laughs> I think the thing that that I that affected me the most by reading your book is I think to to an extent everybody who has a connection with the water or you know um, participates in it, uh, activities in the water I think they've always got this underlying sort of um, thought process about like why we're drawn to it you know your your body's ninety percent water or liquid you know so why does it why does it give you kind of this this relaxation effect and this this effect where you can just kind of like let everything go um a little bit and uh there there were a few things in the book that you know really affected me which was kind of one of the ones that actually made me chuckle a little bit was that I think you wrote a paragraph on when you go on holiday why do people opt to go on holiday by the seaside or by a swimming pool and I'm like it's a good point. You're like, you know, you, okay. Granted, if you go to a, a hot place, you want a swimming pool, but when people go to a hotel, you know, they're chilling out. What do they want? They want a swimming pool. And and, I, and that just kind of like some, some base level kind of reptilian brain kind of thing going on there where everyone's kind of drawn to it. Yeah. Yeah, it goes deep. I mean, like you said, that reptilian brain, I mean, it goes all the way back and we're, and we're not the only beings that are drawn to the water. I think it's uh, something very common in the, in the animal world. So if you don't have water, you're toast, literally. It's, you've got about a week, if you're lucky, without water. And uh, you can go much longer without food, much longer without shelter. Um, but without water, you're, you're in big trouble. But I think an another point you just made is you know, for people who have this water connection, it, it is intuitive, you don't, you kind of don't question it. But then when you do question it, it's endlessly fascinating. And um, so this concept of blue mind really is intuitive. And Celine Cousteau's, Jacques Cousteau's granddaughter wrote, wrote the, uh, uh, the foreword for the book. And she starts by saying, maybe we don't need to explain the magic. If we explain it, maybe the magic somehow is diminished. And then she concludes her, her brief forward um, with the statement that, well, let's go for it. Let's, her, her grandfather would go there. Jacques Cousteau would have loved this, this conversation. In fact, he made several statements about related to this deep emotional connection that humans have to the sea. And you know, people protect what they love. And then that the ocean holds us in its its web of wonder uh, once it captures us. It just doesn't let you go. And so he he was fascinated by this idea as well. So, you know, you, you might say, well, why we all know why do we need a book about this? 
and I've, I've read reviews to that extent. And my answer to that is, you know, if I, if I take my phone right here and right here and I just drop it, you can predict exactly what's going to happen. It's going to go that way down and probably maybe break or bounce off the marble floor. Um, but you have a pretty good idea intuitively what's going to happen if I drop this, right? It's not going to go up. It's not going to go sideways. That would be super weird. It's going to go straight down and it's going to, going to bounce on the hard floor. Um, yet we have this whole field called physics, Newtonian physics, that would give you an equation of how fast it will fall, how long it will take, how high it will bounce. You can measure all of that. And nobody's going to argue that we don't need Newtonian physics to do life. In fact, it's uh, critical to pretty much every aspect of engineering and the entire built environment. Um, you can't build a, a ship without Newtonian physics, let alone a, a build a road. So similarly, I would think for Blue Mind, yes, it is intuitive. Yes, it is an ancient idea. We find it in every culture throughout all human history. Every sacred text refers to Blue Mind, refers to the emotional valence of water in some form. Yet, I think we still need the research. I think we still need to produce the clinical uh, studies that in, in, you know, in your hands can be applied uh, for healing, uh, for improving lives, for even saving lives, in fact. Uh, so when people push back on why do we need to explain something that's so obvious, um, well, that's true for all, all realms of science for the most part. Um, even genetics, you know, um, early observers noticed what happened, you know, when you combine different kinds of plants and then they continued to push the inquiry. Uh, and now we have modern, you know, research genetics. Uh, I think it's the same thing for Blue Mind. And I think the research will carry on. Uh, I have no doubt about that. Uh, but what's really important is now we've we have enough research to know this works, it's useful, and let's put it into practice for the, the greatest number of people um, because people are hurting right now. I mean, in, in a lot of different ways, people are carrying some pretty big bags of rocks. Uh, I, would, I would argue all of humanity is, is feeling red mind. A lot of people are burning out. Uh, so this is really quite a quite useful idea to develop. I think your um, your kind of comment that you just made then about you know why do we need a book like this? I think if anyone asks that sort of question, one they're pretty dumb <laughs> because you know anybody that writes something like like the Blue Mind or you know I, um, I'm just starting a breathwork business as well, so trying to trying to expand out and um, uh, and get people more aware about breath work and, and why you need to functionally breathe better is what all you're doing is you're, you're not necessarily like telling people this is how it is you're opening the conversation so have a read of this see what you think about it and then let's have a conversation about it and if it starts and 
gives people a reaction or something to think about Do you know what just you know some micro changes in my in my lifestyle are um are going to help then you know that's a great thing uh an amazing thing i think the other thing as well like you're saying about people burning out the lifestyle and the way that the world is today is very high octane um you know regardless of what walk of life, life you come from whether you know you're a ceo of a massive corporation or you're struggling for for work and money there's these these burdening stresses that kind of society places upon us where you kind of don't really know what to do. And, you know, you could use the old, um, the old catchphrase of, you know, people are just stuck in the rat race. They're, uh, they're, they're just plodding along and being kind of dictated them what they need to do and how, how to think. And I think, you know, having a book like this and, uh, and other books that are kind of putting information out there, um can can really help with that and if it can change a direction in someone's life whether they're into water or surfing or water sports or they're not and they just pick it up at an airport then again that's a great thing too i totally agree and you know we're we're water beings we live on a water planet uh and the more we know about our own brains and our own minds the better you know i I, I would argue you're, you know, do you want somebody else to understand your brain better than you? <laughs> do you want somebody else to have that kind of control? I don't, I don't think so. I think you want to know as much as possible about yourself and, uh, and understand how the, you know, this water-based planet interacts with your mind, your body, your brain, um, that's good. That's good operating instructions for a human being. So I'd like all kids to learn this stuff in school. And so by the time they get through high school, um, they know exactly what blue mind is. They know how to get it. They know how to practice it. They know what it does for them. They know in, in their neighborhood where they can get it in their home, how they can do it. Uh, if they have to travel a bit, they have a plan. Um, and it becomes common knowledge and common practice rather than something we're arguing over or trying to convince people about um, or, you know, or maybe something that people just stumble upon because they got, they got lucky or we're lucky to have a friend who said, Hey, let's go to the water or a parent uh, or a coach or a teacher or a guide of some sort. Uh, my, my mission with the time I've got left uh, is to make blue mind common knowledge and common practice for everyone. And and by everyone, I mean 8 billion people. Uh, so talking to people like you who have an audience and um, a set of skills and platforms uh, and you know things I don't know and people will listen to you who don't know who I am. Um, you know, the the people who take your classes, the people who come for your ser services, the people you serve, you've served with, the people you surf with, uh, kind of a tongue twister there um that's you know let's reach them you know and uh make sure blue mind is common knowledge for them in common practice um and then have it ripple out from that community uh and it it can only do good really i can't see it. there's no downside to this conversation 
you can't really overdo it. I mean, you, you can surf too much and then lose your job uh, that, or lose your relationship. Um, that does happen. <laughs> I don't recommend it, um, but there is no, you can't overdose. Uh, and there are no really, you know, physical side effects of it. They're very positive. So um, Blue Mind is good, a good prescription, yeah. What sort of neurological studies have been uh, taking place to to kind of look into the blue mind, or, or have haven't there been any? There've been a ton in the last ten years. So most of the research. So when I wrote the book, coming up on ten years ago, there was a lot of I needed to do a lot of dot connecting. So I found studies of like I mentioned earlier about your brain on music, and I thought, okay, is this relevant to blue mind? Well the ocean the sound of the ocean the surf is is kind of a it's kind of like music right? there's a rhythm to it if you listen to a river there's a musicality to it there's a there's a tone um there's a pattern to the sound of the ocean uh sitting by a fountain uh listening to a waterfall listening to the waves um so while there were not any sort of on the nose studies about your brain on the sound of ocean waves uh, at the time there were studies about your brain on rhythm so there's a dot to connect um, while there weren't many or very few studies about um, the neuropsychology of swimming or paddling um, there were a lot of studies about the neurological benefits of exercise and one of the best kinds of exercises would be paddling a surfboard, as any surfer will tell you. Uh, you do it enough, and it it makes you fit. Uh, and you know, your entire body gets 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 a workout uh, in the water. And so, it, there was some dot connecting early on. Now that has evolved, and in the past ten years, there's been literally an explosion of blue mind, blue health, blue space research. All of it points in the same direction. None of it has concluded that, oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> uh, this doesn't work. All of it says yes and. Um, and so I, I think there's going to be more and more research in this realm going forward. Um, some of the best studies that are the most clear to me are the ones that are done in float tanks. So that you know, when you think about surfing, you're not riding waves the whole time. There's quite quite a bit of time where you're you're sitting floating in the water. Um, an extreme version of that would be getting into a, a salt water tank, closing the hatch, and having no light, no sound, no gravity, no sense of where your body begins and ends. Uh, don't know if you've ever tried that, but I highly recommend uh, giving it a whirl. Um, these float tanks. They're sensory deprivation tanks. So they're an extreme version of blue mind. Um, and people might say, well, what does that have to do with surfing or paddling or swimming? Well, everything, uh, all those activities, um, just going for a swim in the ocean is a, a milder version of that extreme float experience. So those studies, um, if you so if you go to Google Scholar, one of my favorite websites, and you look up... Uh, float research or blue mind or blue space or blue health you'll find all this research i'm referring to 
But those float tanks seem to be, uh, according to the researchers, one of the best, if not the best, modality for treating anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress, depression, um, all of which are quite quite deadly um, emotional health concerns. And um, not to say that just floating in water is going to fix everything, but it's a good tool for your toolkit. Uh, taking some time and and going going for a float, um, and in fact, you know, we're seeing um, pro athletes, um, military, um, and even entrepreneurs, people who 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 need creativity for a living, all are adopting this this floating as a uh, a part of part of their lifestyle. Um, I particularly like to do it after I travel. You know, and I'm kind of jet lagged and a bit, a bit wiped out and a bit discombobulated. Getting in, getting in some dark, warm water for an hour, it hits the reset button really hard for me. Um, it's not an, it's not a, an athletic activity. It's quite the opposite. It's really the most nothing uh, you've ever experienced, which um, for some people is terrifying uh, to be alone with themselves. Um, entirely for an hour is a, a terrifying notion for some people, but it's, it's certainly fascinating and worth a try. If it works for you, uh, make it part of your, your routine. Um, kind it's of like coincided with a little bit of uh, taking in some psychedelics when you jump in there too. <laughs> yeah, right. Some people have done that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I highly recommend doing it hundred um, percent natural. Uh, for a few shots, just to get an idea of of what you're up to and what you're dealing with, because um, an hour of absolutely nothing is is very different from anything else you've ever experienced. Even a quiet night when it's just calm and quiet and you're alone, uh, it still has quite a bit of stimulation. But when you get yourself into one of those tanks uh, and you really experience nothing, uh, and all you've got in there is yourself. Your, your brain switches into a different mode and you probably haven't experienced that. So the, the first few times you should probably go natural, I, I recommend. Uh, and then people kind of take it from there and experiment. Yeah. It seems a very kind of um, an extreme version of kind of meditation and stuff, because in the last sort of like, you know, five to 10, no, I'd say five years, not, not 10 years that, you know the cold water therapy, the ice baths, and 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 all this sort of thing has um has has become quite popular, really, um, especially since kind of COVID, I guess, where where people are are very, excuse the pun, mindful of mindfulness. Um, you know, using using cold water and, and water even as a um as an element of kind of getting themselves into that that mental space because. I don't know the cold water. I mean, I've been looking at my ice bath out the back of my out the back of my house now, and you know, I do it every single morning. And I live literally like a two minute walk from um, from the sea. So uh, the, the, there's an element there of inadvertently bringing the mind back to that meditation. And I guess if you're if you're in a in, in a container like that where you can't hear or see anything and you're you're trapped with with your own mind then it's got nowhere else to go after a bit except just to just to be quiet and 
I, I guess if you're if you're meditating, whether it's at home or you go outside into the forest or or even onto the beach, you've always got this background noise, haven't you? That's kind of got these inadvertent variables that are going to knock your concentration off if you if you don't really if you don't really know how to do it. And I I, I could see the definite benefits in it. Yeah, I you know I've, I have nothing against a walk in the forest, and I quite enjoy it myself. But if you're on a on a path going through a forest, there's there's a lot going on. You're 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 dealing with gravity. You're balancing yourself. There's a physicality to it. Uh, there's a variety of, of plant life. So you you're either um, you're noticing it, and you might be identifying the varieties. Um, there's animal life. There are bird songs. Other critters running around. You might be noticing those. Um, if you're afraid of insects or i mean so there's a lot going on uh people i even see people on trails in the forest on their phones they're on their on a conversation they're looking at social media um you get in the water especially in a in a float situation and all that goes away so yes to green space yes to forest therapy 100 percent. it's very uh, it's good for us but to really get to this blue mind place, you, you really want to start peeling away the different kinds of stimulation. So part of what happens on the ocean or at the beach or surfing is auditorily things are simplified. So there's, there's sound, but there's very little information in that sound. Now for a surfer, that might, that will be less true. So you're hearing the waves and as time goes on, you be, become better at understanding the sound of the ocean as information that's useful to, to your surfing activity, to the proximity and the size of the waves, et cetera. Um, looking out at the ocean, it's, again, there's, there's less information. There, there are no billboards. There are no signs. There's no built environment. There may be a boat. There may be a dolphin, there may be a bird, but it's it's simplified as well. So auditorily and visually, uh, your world is simplified when you're looking out at the ocean at the beach, generally speaking. And of course, there are patches of ocean that are incredibly busy that may have advertisements and boats and all kinds of stuff going on. But we're talking about you know the less busy patches. And so that, that gives your brain a break. So you get a little bit of that float experience when you're, when you're participating in boating or surfing or diving and other aquatic activities, or even just taking a stroll on the beach. Um, but if you want the extreme version of Blue Mind, I do highly recommend climbing into one of those float pods, pulling the lid down and spending 60 or 90 minutes in there. And uh, another little pro tip would be um, sign up for three floats uh, over a two-week period or a 10-day period uh, before you pass judgment. So the first time you do it, you may just think it's weird and it might have been a little bit tricky to settle down. The second time you do it, you drop right in. The third time you, you walk in like you own the place and you're just like, hey, I'm here to float. Where's my tank? boom, you're in there, boom, you drop in, boom, you quiet your mind. And then you're not really, you know, you have a different experience each time, really. 
Uh, and then if you think I never need to do this again, okay, uh, at least you have a good story. Um, at, after three floats, you might say, all right, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for this program. I'm going to do it once a month or, or more than that. So um, I'm not in the float business myself. <laughs> I just find it to be a really great example of the broader blue mind conversation. And, um, and I work with a lot of surf therapy organizations. And one of the challenges is you get a group of people out for a weekend and they have a life-changing experience. Then they go back home, far from the ocean in some cases, back to their troubles, uh, back to their old routines and away from their new surfing friends. And they can stay in touch a little bit on social media, but sometimes the post-surf therapy experience is a new low that's lower than the previous low. And, and I think you under, understand that. Um, so giving people a toolkit. So when they're far from their waves, far from their new favorite activity, far from their friends, they can still access their blue mind. So maybe going into a float tank and thinking about surfing uh, and having a little, little, little bit of um, imagination and being in that salty water could be a way to keep that, keep the stoke, keep the blue mind going uh, between, you know, ocean sessions. Um, you know, I think it's important, you know, with the surf therapy that we give participants a, a full blue mind toolkit. So cold plunge, uh, hot tubs, pools, stand up paddle boarding on the river, uh, open water swims, um, float tanks, uh, enjoying your own bathroom, um, listening to ocean sounds on recordings at night. Uh, there's a whole list of 100 things you can do other than surf that will keep your blue mind blue rather than slipping back into red or gray mind um, when you're away from the ocean. A lot of the things you're talking about there, are, I use the analogy of, because um, it's all to do with mental health, isn't it, really? you know how, how, what where your mental states is and i and i use um an anchor as as the analogy that i use because you know i've i spent 22 years in the marines and you know i did i did five tours of iraq and afghanistan so you know some of the stuff that i'd, I'd seen and, and done has been you know pretty horrific and you know leaving last year um it, it it's not been difficult but it's i think that if i didn't have jiu-jitsu or surfing uh, that I call my my mental anchors. If I didn't have those, then then I'd probably start suffering with those kind of those uh, mental dilemmas that, that that happen to people with PTSD and and depression and anxiety and and all that kind of thing. And um, I think one of the things that I can't really explain, which is probably you know why you're saying about research needs to be done into it, is that. When I go surfing and I am sitting in the water and, and all I'm doing is I'm my mind isn't thinking about, you know, what's the email that I've got to send next or I've got to message this person about this. You know, I'm sat there, I'm floating. Um, generally, I've got earplugs in because it's pretty cold here in the UK and I don't want to get surfers here. So, you know, there's that element of muting going on, but you can still hear the the sea and the ocean in the background breaking and, 
you sat there and you're floating and you're looking at the horizon, waiting for that set to come through. And all you're doing is you're just focusing on that. You're not focusing on anything else. And if you're in the water for, you know, you know, an hour, two, three hours, and it almost kind of resets, resets your brain. And I, and uh, you made me chuckle then because you, you were saying, you know, uh, when you're away from the water, only a surfer really kind of knows. And, um, and I, and I generally find, even though, you know, I, I you know, I, I teach jujitsu as well, is that if I don't get in the water and I have a good surf with some, with some good waves, I'm as grumpy as sin, hence the grumpy <laughs> surfer, you know? So, uh, there's, um, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely something in that. And I don't know what it is. Um, it's kind of, it's almost like a, a, a different world, you know, a paradoxical planet that you that your mind goes into because i would probably say that 90 percent. i'm making this up by the way i haven't got statistics in front of me i'd say 90 percent of people when they go into the ocean they'll stand there or sit there or like just float for like 30 seconds and they'll think of nothing think of nothing you know maybe longer and i it would be really interesting to see what triggers the mind to to kind of get into that state because once you leave the water that that kind of refreshing cleansing that that it has for you is um is something to be matched on land i think yeah there's and there's very i mean really again it's not a competition between green and blue but uh if it was a competition blue wins i mean that's a but um, let's not go there. It's I, I, you know, it's both, right? So we, um, and I, you know, I'm I'm also careful to be as ecumenical as possible about water. Meaning, um, if you're in the mountains and your water is a lake or a river or a creek or a pond, lucky you. You know, this isn't a conversation to make you feel bad that you don't live near the ocean. And if you, if you live in the desert. And you have to hike into a, a spring uh, or use a swimming pool. Well, lucky you, uh, do it. Um, so wherever you are, uh, and if you happen to live on the coast, you know, near an ocean, and uh, you're a surfer, well, really, lucky you, um, do that. You know, take advantage of that to be the best version of yourself. And is the key point defend that ocean with with everything you have you know if, if that ocean is keeping you sane you should be just a badass ocean warrior out of gratitude like you should bring everything you have to make sure that ocean is the healthiest ocean in the world or that river or that lake because if it's giving you your sanity if it's giving you your joy and your peace um, maybe it's giving you dignity um, maybe romance, um, maybe it's save your life. And I've heard that, um, that's your cause, man. I mean, that's, uh, you, you need to be given back and defending the health, uh, of those lakes and rivers and oceans and waterscapes, um, that you call home. Um, and so that's where, you know, Blue Mind, it's very personal and it's very me oriented. 
And then you need to flip it, like literally flip the word me upside down and it looks like we. Uh, and then you flip it and you get to work and you talk to the people who need it that you know and you drag them out of their basement where they're suffering alone and you take them surfing or take them to the beach or take them for a cold swim um, blow their mind in the best possible way uh, with this blue mind thing uh, and then get to work together and do a beach cleanup or um, you know try you know fight fight for i mean you know in the uk and around the world we've got lots of pollution that goes into the ocean that probably should put somewhere else uh it's gross right it'll make you sick um goes in the rivers the people who swim for therapy the veterans the first responders who need it to get through their day and their week uh, and then come back and serve us um they don't deserve to swim in sewage and so you know, put on your, your river warrior hat and get to work on that. Um, so there's this really interesting regenerative feedback loop, I think, that occurs when we realize that these waters are not just ecologically important, and they are, and not just economically important, but emotionally for our emotional well-being, um, for ourselves, for the people we love, for the people who serve us. Uh, we need to protect these waters and bring them back to health if they're suffering uh, or protect their integrity if they're in good health. Um, that's the beautiful little feedback loop that I see occurring with this conversation as it grows. It has really fueled the efforts uh, of my colleagues who are on the front line of, of the ecological uh, and the economic aspects uh, of our waters. And um, I have a um, a guy that I've, I've surfed with um, named Martin Pollock, and uh, he's he's from the UK. Um, yeah, I've done the podcast surf. with him. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's he isn't you know came back with one arm and no legs and said you know probably even said this on your podcast his his plan was just to be a blob on a bar stool with his mates in a pub. That's what he thought his life would be. And then he started surfing and the plan changed and um, it just got better and better and at it and, you know, inspired a lot of other people to get out there. And, you know, and he said, I'm, you know, I'm an ocean warrior. I'm, I'm trained. Our government spent a lot of money to train me to be a warrior. Now I'm an ocean warrior and, you know, inspiring people and going out with, with people who need it. Um, it's a big mission. You know, it's a it's a big calling, and uh, you know people like Martin Martin and and his colleagues and friends, you know, are great examples of how how it all works and how it creates that positive feedback loop. So uh, you don't even need to call yourself an environmentalist; you just go out and defend the ocean that gives you life. <laughs> call it whatever you want, you know, ocean warrior, environmentalist, you know, eco person doesn't matter just that ocean is not going to be very good at taking care of you if it's full of crap literally or plastic or oil or or just has dead fish or you know i was surfing with my daughter in southern california once and she was paddling along and there's something on her foot and it was a diaper like a used diaper and she's like wakala you know like, gross it's good 
Wakala is gross in Spanish. Um, but let's get out. I, I, I'm not going to surf in diaper water. Um, and so that shatters your blue mind when you're out there and it it's, makes you sick or looks bad or you encounter, you know, animals that are in bad shape. Um, the flip side of that is if you're out in the water and, a, you know, you a sea otter hops up on your board, that's pretty cool. Well, or a dolphin swims by, or you know, if you surf with wildlife, uh, if you surf in a healthy, productive, clean, thriving ocean, it's just awesome. It's just like you feel alive and, you know, um, it, it restores whatever might have felt broken that day. And you get, like you said, you, you don't think about your problems. You get a break, you get a reset, and then you throw in some animals out there with you and um it's full of awe and wonder which is a whole other conversation what happens to our brain when we experience awe you know it opens us up to compassion and empathy that's what the research says so you get out of the water you're stronger you're rejuvenated you're more clear-headed and you're more compassionate wow you know that's a that's a good drug right there um that's prescribed that far and wide you know um i think we're stuck yeah. in a, a dichotomy or a or a dilemma or other d words um <laughs> in regard to kind of the, the environment and how we look after it um as a species of as, as humans um we're ever growing and we only live on the small planet you know planets i use that percentage 90 percent of the planet is covered in water so you know, I think it's quite, I think it's a difficult one. And, you know, if any eco warriors out there, don't shoot me because this is just kind of, I'm spilling off the top of my head. Yeah. In our society these days, we have sewers, we create lots of rubbish, we have packaging, we have plastics. You know, where does your food come from? How does it get to you? Where does it go after you've used it? You know, there's only, there's only so many things you can put into recyclable bags before they crumble and they go off and turn into water and, you know, make everything difficult for you for, for consumption. So when you're talking about the oceans and the environment and the sewage is going into the water, I think the easiest thing for the governments and people is, well, where can they go? The ocean's big. Let's whack it in there. But what I see is there's there's lots of people coming up with these issues of what's wrong, but there's nobody saying, how can we fix it? Okay, so if all this sewage and stuff is going into the ocean on a mass scale, what can we do alternatively than that? The alternative is going to be bury it in the ground. Well, what's going to happen when you bury it in the ground? Well, it's going to affect the soil ph levels so you won't be able to grow anything there okay brilliant what about plastics you know you look at some of those middle eastern countries you know around india pakistan and you know even going around like indonesia and those sort of places there there is just like plastics and bottles and you know i've been to the maldives and there's like a massive island there it's a trashy island that's just smoldering in the background because they're just trying to burn everything because there's so overpopulated where does all that rubbish go well it can't go in the sea because you've got all the reefs and the sea animals 
So we're going to burn it. Okay, well, if we burn it, that smoke is bad for the environment. It's going to go into the sky. So all this stuff that we've created as a society and as humans, we're moaning about it that it affects the environment. But then where where are you supposed to put it? Um, you know, unless you go back to kind of being, uh, you know, carnivores and living off the land, which, you know, we're overpopulated and, I'd say again. I'm going to use. I'm going to use ninety percent of the human race probably couldn't survive on their own without anybody doing anything for them. You know what do you do? Yeah. So I think you make some good points there. Um, The material aspects of modern society uh, can be destructive, can be messy, can cause pollution, Um, and it's get you know it's gotten away from us quite a bit so there there's plastic in places where it shouldn't be it's inside of us it's inside of sea turtles that have never seen a human being shouldn't be there nobody nobody disagrees i don't I, i've never met somebody that thinks there should be plastic waste inside wild sea turtles nobody thinks that's okay the challenge is what are we going to do about it and so we've got a we've got a big design project ahead um, we need to redesign the way we manage our own waste. Uh, it used to be that it was fine just to pour it out into the rivers or the oceans. And the ocean was big, the rivers took it away. And that kind of worked out. I mean, there were, there were still diseases and still problems throughout human history. But now that our population is so big, we need to, we need to redesign. So I'm, you know, I, I I'm more interested in solutions than just sitting around talking about the problems and pointing fingers and getting angry. Um, I don't make my best decisions in that red mind place. Um, you know that as as a veteran, you know that as as a soldier, you know that as a as a warrior, you know that as an athlete, you know that as a surfer. Um, when you're in red mind, you can run through walls, but you're not the clearest thinker necessarily. Uh, when you're in that fight or flight mode, like you can get a lot done in that mode that you can't done when you get done when you're chilling out. But if you're trying to be creative and collaborative and come up with um, smart long-term solutions to big problems, you need to calm your ass down, right? And work together with other creative people and then come up with a plan, right? When it's time to run through a wall, well, that's a different mode. And that's, it's useful to be able to, you know, knock somebody's head, you know, if you need to. Um, But you can't run around all the time in that mode. And I think a lot of environmentalists are in red mind mode constantly. And it's, it's fight or flight. And we're not at our best when we're in that mode. So my thinking is we need to redesign our, our, um, the material aspects of human society um it's not anti-business actually very pro-business it's just a tilt towards better business uh towards better products or better systems uh, more efficient cleaner and more responsible um and the, the foundation to this is the value equation and you know the way i like to say it is if, if we undervalue each other if we undervalue nature, bad stuff happens. But when we get the value equation right, good things can happen. And so 
when we leave the healing aspects of a healthy ocean out of the equation, then, which is often done, the value equation for what, what, is, it, what is a healthy ocean worth is diminished. Uh, and then it becomes okay to, to pollute it, or to overfish it, destroy it. Um, but when we get that value equation right, and it's pulled through society, it's pulled through policy, becomes common knowledge, and we're, we agree on it, that starts to create a, a positive change, I think. That's what we've seen uh, where, where it has occurred. So, you know, you're, you make good points there. Um, we, we need food, we need water, we all poop, um, and we make big, a big mess in the process. And the things we buy that last forever that we use for two minutes, that doesn't make sense. And we're exporting that everywhere, you know, to island nations and um, poor countries without, you know, waste management systems. Uh, so the huge opportunity is in, in redesigning um, our material world uh, to be just better, you know, to be more beautiful, uh, to be more efficient, to be more responsible, um, to be truly conservative about our approach to the environment, call it conservation work. Um, that's, that's the opportunity. And it's pretty fun, actually. I mean, it's a fun, it's, it's fun work when you do it right. Um, and uh, I've, I've been involved in a whole bunch of different projects in my career. Several of them, I would say, I would say were successful. And usually the success has come from breaking free from the old way of doing things. Uh, even within the non, you know, environmental nonprofits, NGOs, breaking away from that way of doing things and thinking differently, redesigning an approach. Um, so that's a, you know, that, that's very, a very, very broad, vague response to your, uh, your, uh, your points there. But um, the, you know, the, the, my, both of my daughters are studying design and they're both interested in problem solving and better designs for the world. And uh, that gives me hope, you know, that they're, they're looking at things like that. It's not a, it's not a hate filled um, life. It's a solutionary kind of life. And, uh, um, but you're right. You know, we, there's a lot of us and we consume a lot of resources. So let's figure out how to do that in a way that doesn't, doesn't take down the whole show uh, in the process. Um, I have to also add in, there's a lot of gloom and doom out there, you know, but there's still a lot to fight for. The ocean is awesome. I mean, I go out there, you know, where I live in the Monterey Bay and uh, the Monterey Bay, you know, over the last uh, century has rebounded. It's better than it was 50 years ago, way better. Um, there's so much life there. Uh, and so it's, it's not over yet. We haven't lost the fight. There's a lot, a lot of good things going on, a lot of successes. We need to replicate them um, 
in the places where things are not going well. And, uh, and part of that, I think, is, is this blue mind conversation. It's like really changing the way we think and feel and act towards water, towards lakes, rivers, and oceans, recognizing the therapeutic benefits um, and using that as yet another lever for taking better care uh, of the waters. So you make good points there. Yeah. You're the grumpy surfer, right? I am the grumpy surfer. <laughs> I, I tell everybody though, I might look like a grumpy surfer from the outside, but I'm smiling inside and that's where it counts. <laughs> I so, can see um, in your logo. Yeah. The Blue Mind, uh, your book. Uh, there's also a few other projects that, that you're um, doing or have done with the Blue Mind. Uh, where do you see it going and what are you doing at the moment with it? Well, we're ramping up to the 10th anniversary of the book, which um, means a few things. Uh, there'll be kind of a, a reissue. Uh, I'm not sure what form it will take, but a 10th anniversary edition of some sort with some updates. Um, we're taking the opportunity to have a look around and um, see what the impact has been of this work and kind of scoop it all together and and describe the 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 ways that blue mind has helped um whether it's surf therapy or architects changing the, their approach or people in the pool business have rethought their product um and then that will lead us to uh, a set of goals for the next decade and so Conservatively, I think we've reached about a billion people with the message. Uh, so there are 7 billion more people to reach. So, you know, I invite you to help with that. Um, and anybody who's listening, you know, if you've, if you've told somebody about Blue Mind, great. Now tell seven more people so we can reach that, that goal. And in really the overall goal is to make Blue Mind common knowledge and common practice. And without attribution to anyone or any book or any any anything formal, um, I just want people to know what Blue Mind is, what their Blue Mind is, where they live, and how to get how to get to it, uh, and how to practice it daily, ideally. And we're getting there. It's it's slowly sinking in and spreading. Um, and so that's really what what I'll be doing, you know, for the next decade is finding people like you to talk to, um, print journalists, filmmakers, podcasters, um, and making sure this idea is firmly placed, you know, in the conversation. Um, so really the, you know, we're pivoting from a, a descriptive, what is blue mind to how do I do blue mind, a prescriptive, um, approach. Um, so that's, you know, I, I I'll do a few more podcasts probably in the next 10 years as well and help with some films and keep the dissemination of the idea going. Uh, on, a, on a personal level, um, we, uh, we lost our, our, our home and our, our stuff, uh, you could say, all of our stuff in a, in a big wildfire and um, sort of figuring out what that means in terms of the land that remains and, and um you know how to how to live through that you know and what what that looks like um currently it looks like 
I live, I live where I am. Home, home is on my back. Um, or home is where the heart is, as they say. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to embrace that philosophy. I have a, a bag and a laptop and a phone and um, home is wherever I am. So uh, trying to, to actually embody that, that idea, uh, you know, kind of post um, catastrophe. Um, and so practicing blue mind personally, um, everywhere I go, if I, if I can't get to a, a lake or river and ocean, this morning I was in a pool and did a pool workout um, and then hopped in a steam and then in a cold plunge and, uh, you know, got me, got me in the right headspace to talk to you. Uh, so practicing blue mind myself is, you know, is part of, part of the, the answer. Well, you've got two feet on the ground and you're looking forward and that's all that matters. That's right. So uh, we've been going for an hour. I'd like to finish off on a, on a surfy kind of quick fire round, if that's okay with you. Sure. So this is going to be surfing orientated, obviously. So if you could only ride one surfboard fin setup for the rest of your life, would it be? A single fin, twin fin, thruster, finless, two plus one, or anything that I've missed out? Single fin, probably. Simplicity um, is probably the way to go for me. Yeah, that's what I'd, I'd choose. Would you surf a longboard, shortboard, mid-length, or a funboard? Probably go with, uh, if I can add... a. A longboard and then a hand plane. That would be my kit for my my aging body. <laughs> or a longboard holding hand plane. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> for when you don't wear your leash and it goes and hits somebody and then you're on the wave with your hand plane. There you go. Yeah, continue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good good combination of a, a hand plane in my back pocket. The best person to surf with in a lineup. Um my daughters. The worst anytime. person to surf with in a lineup. Oh, worst, worst person. Maybe my daughters. <laughs> I was going to say, you can, you can name names if you want to. It's up to you. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep it broad. My daughters, I think it's, yeah. You got, you got just the, the family connection is always nice. And then the complaining is always a pain in the ass. Yeah. If there was one place in the world that you could surf for the rest of your life, where would it be? Wow, that's that's kind of kind of tough. I I just got back from Morea, uh, Tahiti, and uh, that's on my, fresh on my mind there. So um, I'm not. I don't need big waves. Uh, uh, you know, that's I. I probably just hurt myself badly again uh so warm warm waves with some humpbacks in the vicinity that's that's pretty sweet turtles yeah, don't come to the uk then it's cold <laughs> and i'm wearing neoprene all the time you know i'm 42 years old and i'm still wearing a 543 in the summer so figure that one out yep <laughs> Dr. Wallace Nichols, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast and I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much. I love the conversation and talk to you soon. 
And that's it. If you like the podcast, please like, share and subscribe and leave us a little review on any of the platforms that leave reviews. Thanks for listening.